With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And now, your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour with Dean Haglund and Phil Lairness. That's right, we are in a historic <laughs> building in downtown Los Angeles, the Eastern Columbia Offices of Rational Exuberance. I'm Dean Hanglin, and of course, this is your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. I think they probably got that yeah, from the song, song from Garrett's introduction. Yeah, Garrett, yes. You, you must know by now. Boy. And this is Phil Nest, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely, and we're celebrating uh, the debut of the brand new Los Angeles-based theme song. Of course, this will not be the theme song that we use when we go on the road, right? such as we might be doing this coming Someone weekend. Yeah. That's right. So we have two... Because, yes. because you can't be on the road and at the same time say that it's coming at you from a historic building in downtown Los Angeles. You, you know can. that, yeah, because if anything we strive for is the authenticity of this show. Honesty. Honesty. And so if we're not... Transparency, even. <laughs> we are transparent <laughs> in our Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Absolutely. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it's almost uh, uh, middle of April. Already. And uh, Easter this past weekend. Yes, it was. I and, ran a 5K. But, uh, way, to, way to jump oh, ahead. Uh, I'm jumping ahead. I'm bringing, uh, I'm bringing the room down a little bit. Okay, and we're going to start down. with Celebrity Deaths. Celebrity Deaths. Wow. Why not? One of the biggest for us to discuss since we've been doing this show in the past five years, mm -hmm. a, a titan, a, an iconic figure, certainly culturally an iconic figure, and truly a titan of both broadcasting and journalism. Oh, I thought visual arts. Mike Wallace. I was thinking Thomas Kincaid. Well, also an icon. <laughs> I'm beginning with uh, Mike Wallace. 93 year old Mike Wallace right and uh, indeed I say both uh, and uh, again truly an iconic figure and uh, a titan of both journalism and broadcasting because I think a lot of people forget 
obviously the contribution made to CBS News and to 60 Minutes, but just what a career this person had in broadcasting long before even becoming a journalist. Right. Uh, he, of course, most famous for the 39 years he spent on 60 Minutes, 37 on a weekly basis. He dialed it back for his final two years before health forced him to retire completely. 60 Minutes was on for 39 years? Oh, it's been on longer than that now, hasn't it? I did not know. And I loved this. Uh, There's a quote about him. He earned a reputation as a pitiless inquisitor because he he was so fearsome that the words, Mike Wallace is here to see you, became the most dreaded words in the English language. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. That was attributed to him. What, uh, an, what a what a like amazing uh, attribution. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, played by Christopher Plummer in the 1999 film that I love, the Michael Mann film, The Insider. The Insider, of course. Uh, the screenplay was based on the Vanity Fair article, The Man Who Knew Too Much by Marie Brenner, which accused Wallace of capitulating to corporate pressure to kill a story about Jeffrey Weigand, uh, a whistleblower trying to expose Brown and Williamson's dangerous business practices. Right. Wallace, for his part, disliked the on-screen portrayal. I bet he would. And maintains that he was, in fact, very eager to have Weigand's story aired in full. And the truth is, the, the Mike Wallace that they depict in that movie wasn't opposed to having the story aired. And indeed did his usual diligent stuff in terms of his interviewing and his reporting. Right. It was when the powers that be at CBS... Those bastards. ...pulled him aside and said, you know, this could be the financial undoing of the entire network. Uh, That Mike Wallace dropped into, again, according to the film, dropped into a different concern, which was, did he really want as his legacy to be the man who brought down the network <laughs> right. that he had spent his whole career, career at. Yes. And so he decided no. Of course, ultimately he regretted even that because he realized we maybe shouldn't be so worried about legacy when we actually have a job to do. Hello. And ultimately the legacy that he needed maybe to fight for was the one that made him Mike Wallace in the first place. Right. Which was being a truth seeker. A network will never support you. If it's not in their financial interest. it's not in their financial interest. And at an age where, again, corporate conglomerization was uh, becoming widespread Indeed, to think that you needed to take care of your network that had taken care of you. They never taken care of you. They begrudgingly gave you cash at a Or maybe picture. not begrudgingly, well, maybe maybe gladly well, because he was the gold standard, but because that gold standard had value. Right. But had value because it was Mike Wallace. In, in a cost benefit analysis. <laughs> right. Um, but in in but I bring up the insider because of some interesting things that I didn't know about with Mike Wallace, but that came out in biographies about him and, you know, obituaries about him uh, that were kind of fascinating to me, such as, uh, for example, in the early 1960s, Mm -hmm. he was making primarily all of his income was coming directly from commercials he was doing. (laughs) No way. For Parliament cigarettes, ah. <laughs> touting their man's mildness, right? 
and healthful benefits. He had a contract with Philip Morris to pitch their cigarettes as a result of their original sponsorship on his late night TV show, The Mike Wallace Interview. Of course. And I just find that interesting. I'm not proposing that there was any kind of therefore conspiracy that all those decades later he didn't come forward with mm. the truth because of that. I just think, isn't it interesting that he was indeed the a financial bedfellow of tobacco industry, as everyone was. Right. Pre-Surgeon General's warning. <laughs> right. He, of course, was an avid smoker himself. And so then years later to have the, the cinematic version of him cemented surrounding the tobacco whistleblower case is really an interesting bookend to his career. That's pretty bizarre. Um, how about some of these things, Dean Hagler? Okay. You might not have known. I, mean, I did not I know. always am fascinated by these men who lived really remarkable lives and made contributions in a wide variety of ways. Uh, 1943, served in the United States Navy as a communications officer uh-huh. aboard the USS Anthodon. <laughs> okay. Early in his professional career, he announced for the radio action shows Ned Jordan's Secret Agent, uh, <laughs> Sky King, and uh, The Green Hornet. Oh. It is, he was, it, is, uh, it is sometimes erroneously reported that he announced for The Lone Ranger, but he did not. Right. The Green Hornet. I think The Green Hornet is the mistake, because, of course, The right. Green Hornet was offspring of The, the Lone, Lone Ranger. Ranger. Wearing a mask. He uh, was a wrestling announcer in Chicago (laughs) in the 1940s and 1950s. He was a staff announcer in the 1940s for CBS Radio Network and displayed his comedic chops. What? Appearing opposite Spike Jones. Come on. In many routines. You're kidding. He was also the voice of Elgin American in their commercials on Groucho Marx's You Bet Your Life. (laughs) In 1949, he starred under the name Myron Wallace in the short-lived police drama Stand By for Crime. (laughs) Oh, my God. What a great name. I am pitching that as a new TV series. Stand uh, By for Crime. He hosted a number of game shows, including The Big (laughs) Surprise, Who's the Boss, and Who Pays during the 1950s. He was uh, known primarily as a news broadcaster, but it was not uncommon at that time. In fact, it was often the practice for newscasters to also announce, to do commercials, and to host game shows. Right. John Daly, John Cameron Swayze, and even Walter Cronkite all hosted game shows during this period. I can't imagine. Wallace hosted another late-night interview program in addition to the Mike Wallace interview. It was uh, on uh, in New York. Right. Uh, it was a New York local show. Uh, in 1959, <laughs> Louis Lomax told Mike Wallace about the Nation of Islam, and this was before most people in America had heard, heard of it. Of, yeah. And so the two of them produced a five-part documentary about the organization called The Hate That Hate Produced. And it aired during the week of July 13th, 1959. And the program was the first time most white people, anyway, uh, actually had heard about the Nation of Islam and its leader, Elijah Muhammad, as well as its charismatic spokesperson, Malcolm Malcolm X. X. So, uh, fascinating early early stuff, huh? Yeah. Uh, in the 1960s, he was the host of the David Wolper-produced biography series. There's yeah. another titan of broadcasting, David Wolper. And uh, finally, after Mike Wallace's eldest son's death, he decided to get back into news full time 
and began to host an early version of the CBS Morning News from 1963 to 1966. And as part of that show, he interviewed Malcolm X again, who half-jokingly commented to Mike Wallace on the air, I probably am a dead man already. Oh, wow. So fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. stuff. And, and so it, I, I love bringing this up because these people do get so cemented in our collective consciousness for obviously a major contribution like 60 Minutes. Right. But wasn't all know. of that enough of a career <laughs> even before he got to his biggest contribution? Isn't that something? It's so, a guy like that that lets you know. It's guys like that. It's guys like Dean Haglund that let uh, the rest of us know how little we've accomplished. Ah, uh, there you go. So do you want to handle Mr. Kincaid? Well, you know, I'm, I don't know if I should because uh, there's some mystery surrounding Mr. Kincaid's death. He's only 54 years old. The family said he's died of natural causes, and yet the... the how would we best know? Oh, Thomas Kincaid. Kincaid. He's the painter of light. Perhaps you've gone to one of the many mall galleries at the Kincaid... What is it called? The Kincaid Galleries, the I Kincaid, believe, yeah, they? yeah, they have like a, a name. And he actually had some sort of legal battle split with them where he wasn't uh, taking the money. And yet, you know, here's the thing. Thomas Kincaid, not really my taste in art, but I don't begrudge any artist who makes $53 million in their lifetime off their brush, as that guy did. If you can imagine that, he was uh, worth 53. And apparently, uh, the autopsy's called because there was some family squabbling about the finances and who got what. So I don't know if there's foul play afoot, but uh, it seemed that he died a little early. And so I'm not going to talk about it anymore till I hear the autopsy results on uh, poor Mr. Thomas Kincaid. That's all I'm saying. Well, that is uh, Another quite exciting. Isn't so, it exciting in the art world? Anyway, uh, Mike Wallace, Dean Haglund, uh, two men uh, who <laughs> let us know how little the rest of us have accomplished. Um, and indeed, you spent Easter weekend adding another accomplishment. <laughs> uh, not only uh, classically trained improv comic. Let's go. Uh, modern dance <laughs> uh, practitioner and aficionado. Aficionado. Innovative artist. Very good. Beloved actor, <laughs> right? Uh, a producer, mm-hmm. a writer, inventor, an inventor, right? Who won a silver medal That's in silver. Geneva for his invention? How about that? You now are known as, uh, if I'm not mistaken, number eight hundred and seventy-five. <laughs> you are not a number; you are a free man. Uh-huh. And you finished. Was it? Was it not eight hundred and seventy-fifth? Eight hundred seventy-fifth out of three thousand three hundred twenty-eight. At the Santa Anita 5K. Now, explain to me, how long is a 5K? 5K is about uh, 3.6 miles. And you ran. I ran the whole time. But you ran with 3,000 people around you running. And and what are you running in Santa Anita? Where are you running? Well, that's the thing. You you start at the mall. You run behind the mall through L.A. County uh, abort, abort, abort. I saw, by the way, Abitorium? incredibly loud and dangerously close, or dangerously yeah. loud and incredibly close, whatever it was. It was awful. And I saw that at that mall. Oh, is that right? And I would rather have run a 5K. <laughs> well, right across the street, there's that lovely uh, garden. Uh, yes. The uh, Abitorium. And that you Arboretum. Run- Arboretum. Abitorium? I don't know what the hell it is. Arboretum. And then you go through there past the waterfall, and then you cross the street, and then you run into the Santa Anita racetrack, and you actually go underneath 
through the center, and then you get on so the racetrack. So you do actually the, run on the racetrack. The track. last okay. chunk of it is on the racetrack. You do six furloughs right in the mud. And it's. I thought it'd be like dry, but they actually uh, watered it. Wow. And so your your sneakers got See, all See, I wondered if the whole thing, when I hear Santa Anita 5K, I thought the whole thing was on the horse racetrack. That's a bit dull. And I, Well, and 3,000 people clustered <laughs> together on the racetrack would have been awful. Everybody trying to get the inside lane. Yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. It was quite inspiring because uh, for most of it, uh, number 874 was about an 85-year-old man who was, doing, who was pacing me. And, well, uh, this is funny that you bring this up because I had actually was spending some time this weekend reading about and looking at YouTube on videos, and I don't have his name in front of me, but there was this uh, Buddhist monk who is in the Guinness Book for several records, uh-huh. and uh, because well into his 80s, he was setting records for bodybuilding and distance running. By the way, kind of a spindly, uh, happy man with a pot belly, yeah. not an athlete, and he was doing all these things. Uh, because he he wanted to prove his life philosophy, which is that you know we are representations. Everything we do is a representation Absolutely. of something. But we get into trouble, do we not? When we think, okay, uh, right now we're hosting our show. This is the pod. I am representing the podcast host within me. Uh. Earlier we were discussing budgets and spreadsheets. I was representing the producer in me. That's how we tend to think of things mm. in this world. Instead of realizing, no, we are always representing our soul. And there are no parts of the soul. Right. The soul is always whole. whole. Which gets back to our conversation last week about it's not uh, just enough to do what you love because sometimes you will be separated from getting to do what you love. So it's equally important to love what you do. Let's no matter see. what you're doing at any given moment, it ought to be the most important thing in the world to you. So connect as deeply as you can with it because it is always a representation of your soul. So he does this. That so he's dead now. Uh, right? But I was, you know, he was this fairly famous figure, and all these world champion bodybuilders like list him as their inspiration. You know, I love that dude. Yeah. Uh, and he long distance running. He would run these marathons. I'm 85 years old. I'm going to go run a marathon. Well, and, and see, that's the thing. You can do it. I because mean, because there was no concept. He was not representing what 80-year-olds can do. He was not representing what an 80-year-old version of himself can do. He was representing his soul. Right. And his soul desired to go out and do these things and, so he could do it. And that's the thing. You, if you, The medical industry is renowned for going, well, stop doing that because you're too old to do this or you, you can't. They, they lay out the limitations of what one can or cannot do. And I'm not saying that you can do anything because, yes, the body will explode uh, eventually. Uh, yeah. And several did explode at Santa Anita, right? And <laughs> we're blaming, and I believe we're blaming Michael Mann and David Milch. <laughs> that was a reference to luck. See, luck. The, uh, yes, filmed there. Anyone who watches, all five of you that watched that series on HBO, yes. that canceled will appreciate that joke. Here's the weird thing, though. I was looking at the map, and afterwards, you know, there's vendors and there's free uh, cliff bars and, you know, all of these uh, corporate people uh, giving out freebies. And then there's a, a beer garden. And I'm thinking, well, the race starts at 8. We'll be done by 8.30. Surely nobody's drinking. Everybody goes to the beer garden, and you get two free beers after you run 5K. So you sit out in the morning sun, 9 a.m., pounding a couple cool ones. There's nothing better than doing a 5K with a, and then having a couple beer in the grass 
in the stands. Well, no, but aren't you in training for a full marathon? I mean, yes. isn't that the part? You're going to be a year from now, roughly. You're going to be participating in the LA Marathon. L- LA Marathon, and I don't know how goal. that's going to work. Where and now, how how is it? Twenty six k the marathon? No, or? no, it's twenty six point two Mile. uh, miles. It's okay. fifty two kilometers. So it's, it's nine ten. times, roughly nine times as long as the run you did the yes. other day. Yeah. And how ten. are you going to finish it? Where every three miles you're taking a break to have a couple beers. I think I can still do it. I think it's a seven hour. Is journey. that my job? Is that what I'm doing? Am I am I advancing three miles to the next checkpoint to hand you beers? I'm actually inventing the second thing, which is a keg that goes as a backpack, and then the spout will come over the top of my. Uh, Finally, baseball you hat. are inventing something that <laughs> the powers that be will get behind from a marketing standpoint. That's right, and I'll have a hip thing that'll actually pressurize the keg. So as you run, it pressurizes the beer so that the spout will just inject it directly into your throat as you run. Everything so that, we do on your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour is hip, and everything apply, that we do applies pressure somewhere. <laughs> Very good. It's time for the live event of the week. The Chill Pack Hollywood live event of the week. Wasn't running a marathon a live event well, enough? Well, for you, it yeah. was, I guess. And okay. and yet we try to there was a band make there. the live event be things that people can maybe see or, <laughs> or participate in. But you're right. That counts. Sure, that that's counts. your live event of the week. There you go. My live event on Easter. And yes. happy Easter Sunday happy to all of you. Happy belated Easter. If you, if you celebrated. Yes, or if you're listening to this before time, big self. Uh, or if you're listening to it next year. Happy Easter. <laughs> that's right. I attended Maja's Magic School. Uh, at the Basant Lodge, the historic uh, Theosophy Lodge on Beechwood oh. Canyon. Oh, yeah. And, okay. Uh, over in Old Hollywood, part of the whole spiritual community that was built there long before any residences were there or anything like that. And the, Or the Scientology Center. Uh, well, that's why they built the Celebrity Center there, you know, because it's known to be that whole area, including Whitley Heights and all that, is known to be this vortex of spiritual energy. I did not know that. Because long before there were residences, long before there was Hollywood, there were all these uh, different... Uh, Religious Vedantic uh, center there. There's a Theosophy Center. There's so much. Yeah, you, I did not know that. In your in your book, wa- those walking tours of L.A., it'll tell you about how you can go and visit some of the relics of these buildings that Neat exist up. still up there. But they they go back to about 1900, right? When people were developing it, right? Uh, for this reason, religious and spiritual communes. Anyway, I attended <laughs> uh, Maja's, uh, where is it, uh, Magic School there. And I guess these are monthly presentations that she does. Uh-huh. Last night, it was on occult symbols and power of the word. Uh, very good. Jordan and, Maxwell must be leading. And it was fun. It was fun stuff. She's delightful. She's kooky and delightful and really has a good uh, energy for presenting this stuff. An hour plus presentation. Just Comedic? By. Laughs? She's funny. Yeah, yeah, there's laughs. A little bit too much emphasis on the music of The Cure. And uh, <laughs> also, uh, what else could I say? It was, it was kind of a, a, a primer. Right. on the, the material, not really for the advanced. So you knew a lot of this I stuff. I knew a lot of it. There was some stuff that was fun to be reminded of, but, right. uh, but it, was, it was fascinating stuff, and I do love that she's doing it, and I love presentations like this, because the emphasis wasn't on the conspiracy. It wasn't on, you know, up with women. It wasn't on, you know, there was no 
agenda to ah, it at all beyond nice. like we love to do trying to open people with a sense of wonder and mystery to all the beauty of all the cool things that are around if you just look for them right and in so doing <clears throat> when you appreciate these things the inspiration therefore is is more subtle and more uh more generously offered right. and it's an and it's an invitation to start telling better stories so with now, our own lives and in the case of occult symbols and the power of the word to mind our words more carefully to uh, appreciate the power that the very words that we say to each other and write to each other that they have have a lot of power so, so not a bad way to spend easter really. absolutely no three questions was this open to the public or were you just it's open to the public it's uh free with a suggested donation okay so i donated five dollars and and is it like in a theater or do you sit around a living room the theosophy hall it's a lodge it's uh, a lodge hall lodge and hall. I'm, I'm not a big one for you know i'm not a member of the elks lodge i'm not a member of the masons or right. any i i love to james mason as you know <laughs> Very good. but i'm not so i don't know what these halls tend to be like but this was uh it was uh, kind of, I don't know how to describe it. it. It felt like somewhere where you would have as an assembly room at a big campsite. <laughs> you know, kind of yeah, one yeah. of those triangular ceilings, rooftops. And then at one end, of a very small, modest stage that was dressed upon which she sat and did the presentation. Is this in a, a campground kind of thing? Like, is it larger or is it just in the Well, it was at one point, but no, it's on Beachwood Drive. It's right on the drive. all around uh, just uh And how did you residences. hear about what, Do they advertise their shows or, or were you uh, on well, a Facebook I think Facebook they advertised, group? but yeah, on Facebook. It was uh, a Facebook page, Evite page, uh, event page, and uh, it was called to my attention by Pete Aspland, who, who oh, right. put on our screening movie dinners and movie screenings. Yes, uh, but also she is friends with, among other people, Lee McCloskey, and I knew ah, her through Lee. Right. So, and how many people were there? Was my final question. There were at least seventy-five. Wow. There. Yeah. Now that I'm shocked to hear. And what you gotta love, she does the presentation unaided by notes amplification. Ah. Well, certainly unaided by notes. She would have been well served to have some better visual aids. Oh. She drew her visual aids on white pieces of paper that in the late day sun, because there was no artificial lighting, we had this beautiful light coming in from the sunset. Uh-huh. And yet that made it insufficient lighting for anyone past the first two rows to see what was drawn by pencil onto white sheets of paper. Oh, dear. So she would say, what do we think of when we see this symbol? <laughs> we think of a blurry blizzard. <laughs> that you need keynote or yeah. perhaps the so, PowerPoint uh, So that was the only thing. But she was unaided by notes and unaided by amplification, oh. just in a, in a pleasing voice, well-modulated voice, full of passion, full of energy, full of fun, was able to reach... The people in the back ah. without needing amplification. And this was called again Magic Maja's Maja's Magic School. Magic I think School. It's a monthly presentation. So ah. Sundays. Yeah. I'm gonna look that up on Facebook. It was fun. It that was a good a fun. fun. How about that? That's what your live event of the week. I love it. We have uh, movie related questions to get to. Backlog. I, I think we have movies to to talk about. We haven't right. talked about movies in a while. No. So let's begin simply by revisiting last week's Lawsuit of the Week. Ah, very good. The Chill Pack Hollywood Lawsuit of the Week. 
to remind you, the lawsuit of the week was uh, the, the uh, legal action uh, taking place on behalf of the movie Bully right. and the Weinstein Company yes. by famous constitutional lawyers David Boyes and Ted Olson, yeah. who sought to get an overturn of the MPAA's R rating right. of the movie Bully. Right. Again, Bully is a documentary that deals with the epidemic that faces so many young people in schools in this country, uh, that of, of bullying, bullying of, of vi- physical violence, verbal abuse, intimidation, uh, uh, intimidation, threats. And it was really thought of as outrageous by many parts of the business, by many parent groups, by many teacher groups, that a movie that so honestly and thoughtfully deals with this issue would be unable to be seen by the very kids it's about right? because the R rating would restrict that. Yeah. They sought a PG-13 rating. The reason that the MPA gave was language. Right. That all these kids are swearing. We can't let kids who are swearing in the documentary hear all this swearing. Right. That Though, was... <laughs> This is the question that they asked: Is who who are you protecting with these things? Because who's not hearing this? Uh, yeah, and in a rather extraordinary turn of events, I am not surprised that the Weinstein Company, with the assistance of uh, Messrs. Boys and Olson, <laughs> would emerge triumphant in this. I am right. not surprised. I am not. Surprised I am then. surprised in how fast it took place and in what a rather precedent-setting. Uh, rather historic turnabout the MPAA did make for a couple of reasons. Right. Uh, Bully did get its PG-13 rating. The filmmakers did agree to a couple of cuts. Right. However, they made no cuts. They they made no cuts in the scene that was at issue. The one big bullying scene. Right. Yeah. So that remains Unedited, Right. And that was their big concern. That was the scene that the MPAA had cited, and that was the scene that in turn the filmmakers said, we can't cut this or much of the impact of this movie is lost. Right. So they made edits elsewhere in the movie to try to show in good faith that they respected the point of view of the MPAA while at the same time holding their ground. And right. the MPAA did indeed uh, allow them a PG-13 rating, but beyond that, uh, are allowing them that rating in time for Bully's expansion into a large number of theaters this coming week. Right, because it was shown in limited theaters with no rating whatsoever. Which is unheard of. Right. The rules were, even if you do get a new secondary rating, there has to be a period of months, I believe it is, before you can release that new rating to avoid confusion on the part of consumers. Right. That went out the window. I don't understand what that means <laughs> yeah. exactly. How would I be confused between the unrated and the properly rated movie? So I think obviously reason prevailed in uh-huh. this. I think this, uh, without having seen the film, I will be seeing it this weekend. Without having seen the film, I, I must uh, say that I'm glad for how things turned out mm-hmm. there can be no justice as long as any rule is absolute right and so to show flexibility good for you MPAA at However, the same time yes. the reason that they always give for not being able to do this is 
well, if we do it for you, where does it end? Well, and that's the silly argument here, because this seems to be a unique and special circumstance. And yet, they've done it. If that was always the reason that they gave to not revisit ratings, because if we did it, well, then we have to do it for everyone. Okay, well, now you have to do it for everyone, right? (laughs) Yeah. If that's the reason you never did it before... Well, now you have to do it for everyone. And we could see that it's doable. However, here's then the problem that I see. The MPAA is a uh, filmmaker's self-regulatory system. It's a lobbying lobbying group on behalf of the producers. Right. Not filmmakers, on behalf of the producers. And when we say producers, we mean... Again, just like who the Screen Actors Guild negotiates with, when we say producers, we don't mean men in suits. We mean giant international conglomerates, the six companies that own everything or the eight companies, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's who we mean. And it is their lobbying group for lobbying Congress. And they have this rating system in place to self-regulate so that the federal government does not do right, it. and by now them being uh, this flexible, quote unquote, now headed a, by Chris Dodd, former uh, senator Chris Dodd. So, right? Yeah, right. By being this flexible, doesn't that then invite uh, the federal government to go? Well, you've clearly let the horse out of the barn. You don't know what's going on, and a federal federal regulatory system could come in and rate the movies after that. I guess, and if they were to open it in other ways then maybe it would you've got to think before they made any move like this because they no one even knows who the members of the MPAA are right that's true all they know is who the spokesperson is yeah and that's uh, Chris Dodd you've got to think they cleared this with their colleagues in Washington it's true and considering now that you know federal government and major corporations are one and the same uh, this is what I said. Oh, there, what is you? There, uh, there, there we go. You reading so, anything new now? You uh, reading anything? I just picked up the uh, Incredible Journey. Um, started reading. It's about uh, five or six um, Americans who went to Paris to find their fame and calling in medical arts and literature, including Oliver Wendell Holmes. And uh, this writer sort of breaks down their journey in the eighteen uh, or I guess it was middle middle to late nineteenth century. And how arduous the journey was from America to France. That sounds great. It's actually really quite fast. I didn't think I'd dig it. It was a gift. But now I'm totally loving it. That's great. Yeah. That sounds great. All right. Let's do a lightning round before we get to our question question for the the day, which is actually multiple questions in one email. Oh, man. How could it be otherwise from Matt Giles? Ah, Matt. Thank you. Matty. So you've seen a movie about Comic-Con. Yes. How did I What like is it? this? <laughs> this what is, was this movie? It's called Comic-Con for the Fans Hope or something silly. And is this a documentary? <laughs> it's a documentary. It's a, a Morgan Spurlock documentary where thankfully he's not in it. He's not quit his job this to go to... This is a super-sized... Yeah. <laughs> <It's a, it's laughs> he not, quits his job to spend 32 days <laughs> at, Comic-Con, at Comic-Con eating the, nothing but McDonald's. <laughs> that's right. Standing, that's that, a documentary. Standing in line. Standing in line to get into one of the, the conferences. Yeah, no. Um... It follows uh, five guys, five different stories, and uh, I don't know how they selected them because it's a pretty good range of stories. I imagine there's probably more, and they picked the uh, the best ones. But uh, it's sort of, uh, if you've been to Comic-Con, you don't learn anything new. And in fact, I thought it sort of missed a lot of what Comic-Con was for me, 
but that's because he didn't take the cameras to the bars. So uh, the stories that go are very, some of them are uplifting, some of them are sadly uh, crushing, um, and all of them are either about comics or uh, costumes or something like that. And, uh, you know, it's fun. I, and I didn't realize this because, you know, I'm so inside that world. Right. But so many documentaries would make fun of it. Oh, like a wink, wink. Oh, look at that crazy nut dressed as uh, Spock there or right. whatever. They didn't do any of that. They just took it as face value because now all of those guys are, you know, the geeks have inherited the earth and the nerds have taken over and all millionaires. And so it sort of gives it its uh, due and honors what Comic-Con is. Nice. Yeah. So it, res- nice. it treats it respectfully. It treats it respectfully. Uh, what, imagine that. How about that for a documentary? When do you ever hear that? I think that's the case with another documentary called The Truth Is Out There. Oh, look at you. Did you see anything else? Uh, no. Still haven't seen The Hunger Games, huh? No. <laughs> I, no. I don't think I'm sure I will now. Which is a sequel to Super Size Me. I, <laughs> no, you know what? Here's the problem that I have. I am going to see it Friday yeah. at the uh, Director's Guild. However, I, I have to admit, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's fantastic. And kids, and I'm speaking directly to the kids. Kids. We, people yeah. of all ages listen to this show. If there's one thing you should not be playing games with, it's your own hunger. <laughs> That's right. Because this is very much about uh, proper nutrition before you run a 5K and uh, carbohydrates. <laughs> oh, and my God. Apples. I don't know. I, I didn't plan to say that. That was an ad lib. See, As you say, we never. I really should show. plan things out. No, a little bit you better. shouldn't. Okay, I saw some stuff. Okay, hit week. me. I was all over the map with the crazy things I was seeing. How uh-huh. about from 1984, Dreamscape, directed uh, by Joseph Rubin? Oh my gosh! Isn't that the one where Natalie Wood? Uh, no, no. You're thinking Brainstorm. This brainstorm. is the one where Dennis Quaid can enter your dreams. <laughs> Not that he hasn't been <laughs> yeah, doing that for you, years. That mm, is hello. A, that's a documentary. Interesting for a few reasons. Uh, one, I don't know how I did not see this in the summer of 84. What a, what a fun summer for movies that was. You had, of course... E.T.? No. Oh, you had, that was 83. Uh, that was 82. You had <laughs> the second it? Indiana Jones film, yes. Temple of Doom. You had the first Ghostbusters film. You had the third yes. Star Trek film. It was big, big fun. And somehow I missed this one, a sci-fi action thriller uh, Dreamscape, which starred, in addition to a young, super cheesy Dennis Quaid, Max von Sydow and Christopher Plummer. And how wow. fun to st- watch that film now, just after they competed against each other for Best Supporting Actor. Isn't that hilarious? Uh, this that- film was incredibly cheesy and at the same time fun. Uh-huh. What I'm curious about is if I had seen it back then, would I have found it cheesy then? Or is it a nature of what the early 80s look like and also the effects work of the early 80s? It's true, because so, our, our 16-bit processors and doing the special effects and all that. But also the hair and the oh, style wow, and that. all this and the mu- techno music and all this, you know, the synthesizer music. Yeah. So would I have found it cheesy or has it, is it just a case of it not aging very well? At the same time, though, if I didn't find it cheesy... Would I have enjoyed it as much? Mm. And this I don't know. See, so it's sometimes it's impossible to go back and imagine how it would have played for you. And this is something we we Dream talk escape. about a lot, which is, you know, so much is made of how the movie plays right here, right now. Yeah, and yet so much of the story is about how it ages, how it ages, and how it doesn't age. You know, there's a lot of big time hit movies that don't age well, That's and true. it's always remarkable to me. Because I think I always see that. Like, I'm going, this will not age well when I see a movie 
particularly back in high school, uh, those '80s movies that I went, no, none of this is really going to fly. Right. But people were like, oh my god, you got to love this thing. Yeah. That is the one thing about Ghostbusters that you got to say, even with the effects not being any more what we would consider state of the art. Right. It still holds together really so well. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, I saw a film that made both your top ten, and it would have made your worst ten. Ah. Now we know why, but also I think I felt like from your review of it, it kind of was both. It was that you both loved it and hated it, and that was uh, the Adventures of Tintin. Yes, I could not have been more unfamiliar with the character. Right. Or it's 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 like you did not know it. And I really found myself kind of loving the first 10, 15, 20 minutes. I loved right. not only the animation style of it, I loved the character. I, I, you know, I thought, okay, yeah, I'm game. I want a series of these movies right. about this guy. First 20 minutes. Yeah. It became so exhausting so fast. Right. Because they jammed in all of the adventures of all the books. The adventures are, of Tintin. How about an adventure of yeah, Tintin? Yeah, all we need is one. How about getting to see his cleverness and getting... It's, it was, again, it was re-editing the, you know, Indiana Jones movies. If, they, if you had re-edited uh, Spielberg's Indiana Jones movies and just kept all the scenes with cliffhangers in it <laughs> and not any of that stuff about needing to figure out mysteries. Right. Yeah, not solving anything. I, I know. And... and because I had read the books and, and in my mind it was paced differently, I could alter the pacing of the movie as I saw it. So that's how I could love it more. But then when I actually then just erased the book from my mind and just saw the movie, that it was what your experience Fascinating. Is. Yeah. Fascinating. So. I, of course, had the New Year's resolution to see all of the films that were on the Metacritic consensus of yes. the best films of the year. Did you and I it? came very, very close before we did our top ten. Yep. But there were a few stragglers I didn't manage to make it to. And I'm now proud to say that I have seen, in fact, all of them except one, which is a four-and-a-half-hour film that I will be seeing hopefully this week. Oh, my God. Uh, but I saw two of them. This week, one is a film that puts shame, the Michael Fassbender uh, film oh, yeah, yes. uh, from Steve McQueen, director Steve McQueen. Starkly uh, naked. Uh, puts shame, to shame, absolutely to shame. <laughs> because it has all the sexual content and, all, uh, and you know, in-your-face sexual content right. and all the graphic. controversial uh, graphic depictions of shame while in service to a story of human intimacy oh. that uh, is so moving and ultimately a film that emerges as incredibly sweet and it's a film called Weekend and it's uh, oh. from director Andrew Hay and it uh, focuses on uh, uh, a same-sex couple in uh, the United Kingdom and one weekend together oh. the weekend they meet and uh, the weekend they share together and uh, really one of the most sweet and heartfelt films I'd ever seen and you know, I got to tell you, it was it was hard work for me not to turn it off because of kind of how shocking it was <laughs> for the first half hour. Right. Um, but a really, really beautiful film. And I'm glad, again, that enough critics championed it for it to be on this Metacritic list because that's how I heard about it. Oh, and that's how place. I've seen it. And where did you ever find this movie? It's, I streamed it on Netflix. Look at that. Another film that I streamed on Netflix, uh, another film on the Metacritic list, and the winner of the Best Actress Award by the L.A. Film Critics. Wow. They did not give their Best Actress to Meryl, Meryl Streep. They did not give it to Viola Davis. Right. Uh, or Glenn Close. They gave it to Jong Hee-yun 
from Korea, from South Korea, yeah. for the movie Poetry. Oh, yes. And this is about an aging woman who is entering the first stages of dementia. Right. Who is raising her grandson. The, the mother of the boy is out of the picture altogether. Right. So she is raising her grandson, responsible for her grandson. She's starting into dementia. He's beginning to come of age. He's involved in a rather horrible crime. Ooh. And she needs to figure out the best way to deal with, with it to ensure his future his you know being raised and at the same time how does she either embrace or try to stave off the the uh, ad- advance of of dementia and she is reminded of the fact that when she was a girl she had a teacher who said that she could become a poet that she had it in her to become a poet wow. but she has never in her long life ever written a poem and so she takes a poetry class to try to learn how to write a poem. And so the film is about many different things, but ultimately it reveals that it's about the poem that she ends up writing. And it's amazing. Wow. So, and okay. well deserved for Best Actress. It sounds like it because it's far so more deserving than the nominated like performances this year. I would say so. This woman had to carry the whole film. And which is not true of Viola Davis, for example, when it was a big ensemble piece. Uh, she had to carry the whole film, and it's a film that works, unlike, say, The Iron Lady. Unlike, yes, The Iron Lady. Huh. It did not work. Anyway. So that was, uh, that was fun. Awesome. I, I'm going to watch that. I had a job this week. I, <laughs> I did a gig this week. <laughs> you your, uh, your uh, co-star in Atlantis Down, Greg Travis. Greg Travis. Filmmaker and actor. Yes. Uh, is preparing to make uh, an independent film that Very he's going to star in and direct. Uh-huh. And uh, he wanted to do some test shoots right. this past week. His collaborator, a director of photography, is busy doing a TV series. So I stepped in to help uh, shoot these tests yes. and to edit them uh-huh. and to do the sound work on them. Look at you go. And uh, it was uh, a, a lot of fun. But in preparation of it, I was tasked with watching John Cassavetti's faces. Uh, and yeah. of course, I had seen this of course. almost now 17, 18, Jeez. 19, 20 years ago, maybe even more now. Let's say 20. Uh, and uh, so it was really interesting to watch it again. This is uh, not, it wasn't Cassavetti's first indie film. That was Shadows. Yeah. But he made this in 1965, wasn't able to finish it until 1968 when it finally came out. It's a black and white, uh, very intimate uh, piece about the disintegration of marriages and uh, full of you know amazing performances. Yeah. But it was really interesting for me to study it from the point of view specifically of how it was shot, both in terms of the composition, but also in terms of the lighting, the film stock, and all of these. And the camera work. Of course, I would be shooting on HD yeah. and in color, but really trying to find the same texture to it using entirely different equipment yeah. and entirely different technology how can you create that feel which presents a lot of challenges but it was it was so much fun really? to really come up with and i must say that if i had had one more day to go back and do it i i really really would have pulled it off in a way that <laughs> uh, that i was pleased with greg was very pleased with what i did and and pleased with the end result i mean what we we put together basically a 10 minute short in 4 hours wow um, but I can't wait to go back to that template 
and to use it when I shoot Night Falls Fast, which will be in black and white, and ah, creating the film feeling. texture. I've got some great ideas. So if anyone out there is, a, is a, interested in shooting HD and interested in co- coming up with ways rather than applying film look filters afterwards, which I always think look terrible, yeah. if you're interested in how to create texture that allows you kind of that, that grain, kind of a film grain, and also allows you to separate your actors from the background, which is oh, so, so hard, hard with HD, where everything's in such focus. Yeah, I've 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 mastered that wow, nut. I look at that, that. Nut, as it were. We might be selling um, that feature. But having having then seen this fantastic drama by John Cassavetes, which could never be made today, never mind for all the technological reasons that we talked about, but also because you know what, you can't make a drama about the disintegration of anything anymore. Because. It was fascinating back then, but what institution around us hasn't disintegrated? disintegrated. Exactly. Right? We live at a time when more than half of all marriages fail. Yeah. So the story about a disintegration of a marriage, yes, you could make it if the characters are interesting, but that couldn't be your motivation. Hey, I want to make a movie that shows what it's like when marriages fail. Yeah, it's just like... If I wanted to see that, I'd just stay at home and watch my parents. Right. I'm I would hear it, most people say, right? Yeah, right or exactly. I would just look at my own marriage. Or, you <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. So t- today, what's fascinating is a real intimate drama would be about integration, not disintegration. Mm. How do we take the mess that already exists and integrate, and integrate it again breathe life back into something that's where we're at culturally right now and i love that that's pretty cool um what's interesting is motivated having seen that movie yeah i then was motivated to see a woody allen film i'd never seen before what and it was his first drama 1978's interiors Interiors. you've not seen interiors i'd never seen interiors even Uh though geraldine page was nominated for an oscar for it and uh and it was it was really interesting because you know, obviously Ingmar Bergman was a huge influence on yes, Woody Allen. It looks one. like a Bergman film. It it's shot like it. There are scenes, there are images out of it that are some of the most amazing images I've ever Absolutely. seen. Absolutely. And yet, for me, ultimately, it doesn't work, and it doesn't work because it's way too much like a Woody Allen comedy. Yeah. <laughs> just without laughs. Without laughs, because this is. Uh Remind me again. This it's the a, same kind of Woody Allen characters. Yeah. It's the same kind of Woody Allen dialogue, only without laughs. Right. Which, to me, some of the later movies that were supposed to be comedies are also without laughs. So it was like... But it's why, for me, the drama Crimes and Misdemeanors is so fantastic and so effective. Because it is a drama, but it's the drama where Woody Allen realized, oh, a drama can be funny. Yeah. Just, like, just like with Manhattan the year before. Or was it the year after Interiors? I think it was the year after Interiors. Year after Interiors. That was where he realized, oh, a comedy can be dramatic. Yes. Yes. That you They're don't have to have, have it, it so strict and rigid. And that's how Interiors felt. It really was strict, strict and rigid. And to a certain degree, the interior we're trapped in is the interior of Woody Allen's thought process. That's true. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's fitting that it's called Interiors because it is a very insular movie. I wow! Think. So we so we oh, nailed yeah. all those, yeah, nailed and all those. we get to a letter from uh, Matt Giles. Let's do it. Hey guys, two quick questions, topics for possible discussion on Here this we week's coming show. Dean, I have sadly never seen any of Guy Madden's films, and what? have been meaning to for a long time. Come on, what film of his do you think is a good starting point wow. for anyone interested in his work? Also, will you and or Phil be seeing his new film Keyhole? 
And if so, will you review it on the show? Ah. Uh, Keyhole has Udo Kier in it. Yeah, yeah. And I love Udo Kier, so I am inclined to say I want to see it. Uh, and of course, if we see it, we'll talk about it. Absolutely. Boy, where to start with a Guy Madden I film? I have never seen a Guy Madden film. I went through all his I shorts, you, everything. I've never, I still have not seen my Winnipeg. I thought you saw my Winnipeg. No, I have to see it. Yes. I didn't realize that was a documentary. Well, yeah, but it's not, it's a pseudo documentary. That's the thing. It's right up Phil Lairness' that, alley. That's right. It's, it's insidious in how it's almost Is not that a good place to start? I would say not, actually, because it is so uh, gender-breaking. I would start with genre breaking. <laughs> genre, genre. Yeah, I, not I gender. Gonna, I was going to say gender as well too, but that's the gonna... crying game. No, that, he didn't make the crying game. That was gender breaking. I would start with Tales from a Gimli Hospital. This was his first breakout movie. Uh, it's a black and white. It's a horror uh, film, technically. Uh, set in a mental institution up wow. in northern Manitoba. This sounds great. It's so bleak. There are some. There are some images there. Some fr- framework that I can't believe has been stolen and put into every other horror movie ever since. Because there, it is literally frightening, and yet it's done in that guy man way where he will degrade the film stock. He shoots in Super 8. He has some uh, ancient cameras that have lenses that don't project the whole image onto the whole uh, part of the negative. So it's, it's uh, partial like that. Um, if that is a little too much, I would go with the Royal Winnipeg Ballet's uh, adaptation where they hired him and then got really mad and almost took him to court off of his uh, documentary. Not documentary, it's his footage of their ballet, Dracula. And it's all in black and white except for Dracula's cape and the blood. And basically it's the ballet dancers dancing in a set that he created but then he's hiding behind bushes and behind plants. He's actually scared of the performance from the camera point of view. Wow. Yeah, and so it's this really gorgeous adaptation of Dracula done by the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, uh, all mostly silent, and the music is uh, lush. His film work is really incredible, and that is actually a really good place to start if you get that one, because that is a... It, you see the dancers and you can get into how he's shooting and then from there you can go to the really obscure stuff and and uh, avalanche and all of those uh, ones where there's a, avalanche avalanche is another good one there's a town that's built under an avalanche so everybody has to whisper and no one could ever talk loud and so this whole town uh, generation after generation is almost silent as they uh, tiptoe around under the uh, overhang of a snow drift in right. the mountain. Fantastic. Well, those are some great recommendations. Yes. I can't wait yes. to see so these. So start, start there. And then, yeah, he's done bigger budget ones as well that uh, you can find as well. So there you go. That ends, of course. Well, we will save uh, the second uh, question, question that Maddie right. had for us right. till next week. Yes. Uh, when we're on the road, actually, maybe yeah, doing a road, road trip. trip. Oh my gosh. Well, I guess we are doing a road trip. We're definitely doing that. Right. Uh, on Sunday, anyone in Sacramento can come see us. Movies on a big screen, 6.30 p.m. at the Guild Theater in Sacramento. Yeah. Movies on a big screen.com. So easy. We may even be on uh, morning television up Wouldn't there. Wouldn't that be crazy? In Local Sacramento. It's morning. The, you, have you done one of those ever? I never they, have. They're, they're grueling because it's like the announcers are peppy and they're happy because they always go to bed at seven in, in the evening and they're up at three in the Which is really going to annoy us if annoy. we are driving from All LA night long. from 1 a.m. <laughs> um, so that'll be 
Good times. Exciting. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank Matty for his uh, question. We apologize. We don't have time to get to, to both questions today. Right. Uh, want to thank the B Film Extras. B Film Extras for our new theme songs. New theme song. We love it. For when we are here in Los Angeles. Yes. Uh, we want to thank, uh, well, we want to thank Jackalope Radio. Please, we want to thank Jackalope. We want to thank Talk Superstation. Talk Superstation. TalkSuperstation.com. We want to thank our legion of fans. Well, we want to thank uh, all of you who, well, all of you who like Maddie Giles, write us at chillpackhollywood at yahoo.com. It's so easy. That's a great way to write us. It's the best way to write us. It's the way we like the most because we actually get those directly. Right. And uh, we can address whatever it is that's on your mind on your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Of course, you can find so many installments of your Chill yes. Pack Hollywood Hour at chillpackhollywood.com, C-H-I-L-L-P-A-K, hollywood.com. You can download them. You can stream them. RSS them. And you can subscribe via iTunes. Please do. We thank those of you who follow us on Twitter. Yes, you can follow me at D Haglin. I'm at Phil Lairness. And of course, each and every week, you can read a blog previewing the coming week's show <laughs> yes. at the Abandoned Amusement Park. Of the internet. Of the internet. It's MySpace. It's MySpace. MySpace.com slash ChillPackHollywood. Yes, Mark Bennett, we are still on MySpace. Uh, it's hard to believe. That party doesn't close until we turn off the lights and lock the door behind us. Which may be. <laughs> it may very well be. And uh, and there's a brand new uh, uh, Movie Lovers Companion yes. blog being put up uh, on our website this week. So people might want to check that out. Please do. Till next week, I'm Dean Haglin. I'm Phil Lance. <laughs>